The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, hey, thanks for gathering with us today. Here we are at Drive-In Church again, and we appreciate you taking the time to come out. And uh, maybe you're sitting in your car looking through a windshield right now. Maybe you're at home and you're on a couch. Maybe you're sitting in your bed, still got your jammies on or whatever. But uh, hey, we're glad you've joined us. And a couple of logistics real quick before we jump in. Um, First of all, if you're in the parking lot right now and you're looking for Wi-Fi instead of using your data, um, you can actually go go online uh, or or go to... um, your Wi-Fi and click on Grove Free Wi-Fi. So we've made that available in our parking lots if that helps you. So maybe if you got some kids with you and you want to check out the kids' content, they can do that, which is the next segue. Uh, and that is if you go to grove.church, click on Church Online, there is some kids' content and youth content available that they can enjoy while you're enjoying the main service. That's whether you're here in our parking lot or you're at home right now. It works either way, so they can enjoy that. Um, and then finally, um, we're wrapping up our series, Welcome to the Jungle. And if you're looking for for where we're going to be. If you got a smartphone with a Bible app or you got a Bible with you and you're turning the pages, we're going to be in Luke 7 and Romans 8. We're going to be wrapping up our series, Welcome to the Jungle. And what we've been doing in this series is talking about the jungle of relationships and Paul gives certain parameters to walk in unity together, but he says none of that works without love and that's where we get 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to look at the last verse excuse me, of that chapter and then we'll look at Luke 7 and Romans chapter 8. So there you go. Um, I think most of us have seen the images when we look at our world right now and, and COVID and this social distancing stuff. And you and I have seen images. I saw one of a doctor who was looking through a glass front door at one of his little kiddos, but they were trying to keep that distance between them. So they were right next to each other, but that glass kept them separate because it, he felt like he wanted to keep his family safe. Um, and I saw that. I saw another image. And it was a bunch of family members gathered around outside looking through a window um, at a care center and, and they were celebrating grandma's 100th birthday and she was inside with a birthday cake in her lap and they were singing to her through the window. Um, and so I saw that. I saw another one and it was uh, vice versa. It was actually the grandparents outside and they were looking through the window to indoors where their brand newborn grandbaby was and while they couldn't kiss or hold the kiddo, they got to see and it's kind of heartbreaking and sweet at the same time. I've heard of family gatherings in the last little bit where keeping a social distance is practically impossible because it's so easy to forget, especially with little kids. They go running up to family members and they give hugs and kisses and stuff like that. Um, I've seen that. I was actually talking on the phone to a gal uh, about a month ago who's single and she was mentioning in my context as a married guy with four kids, um, we get to hug and touch each other and stuff like that and that's a great thing. She was talking about as a single gal, she literally hadn't had physical contact for weeks and weeks and and she was just talking about how brutal that was. And the question, you know, you kind of go, why? And on one hand, we know, well, because there's COVID and we're still learning a lot about what it is and, and how it works and we're trying to keep everybody as safe as possible. But at the end of the day, the why is because we're wired for community. It's difficult and it's brutal because the truth is we're wired for community. We're wired for relationship. We're wired for social interaction. We know deep inside it actually is a basic need. It is essential. We all know that in correctional facilities, um, the worst punishment is solitary confinement. We've heard stories that life is exponentially more difficult for individuals when they're separated as prisoners of war. 
being solo, being solitary for a certain length of time is not really a healthy thing. We're not made for life without relationships. And yet, like I mentioned, Paul says, as he writes 1 Corinthians to this church, hey, there's these divisions and let's deal with this stuff and let's create parameters and guidelines. But that's where 1 Corinthians 13 is written. Look, none of those work without love. And so we've been talking about the need for love in the relationships that we have. And as we end this series today, it's part eight, so it's a pretty lengthy series. But as we end today, you look at the very last verse and Paul says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Eugene Peterson, who, who helped translate the Bible into a, a more modern English version over a couple of decades there, 20 years, um, he, he repenned 1 Corinthians 13 by putting it this way. But for right now, until completeness comes, uh, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly. And the greatest of these is love. And I love how he says love extravagantly. But here's something that you and I really, it's worth understanding. And I think kind of we know this intuitively, but it's still important to know that that love is not about things. When we talk about love in its proper context, we may enjoy things. We may appreciate things. Our emotions may be engaged for certain things. Like you see a a classic car and go, wow, look at that. Or you watch a beautiful sunset and it just opens your heart to to, to how beautiful all the colors you see are. Or you stare at a double chocolate fudge brownie and your mouth waters and you're like, oh baby, let's get this going, you know. But it doesn't mean you actually love those things. We, we, again, may appreciate them, but the warning in Scripture over and over is that when our appreciation goes further than it should, when our emotions are overly engaged, we call that idolatry. We call that lust. We call that sin. So when we look at love for what it is in its proper context, even Jesus says it's reserved for two places specifically. And Jesus sums it up this way. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love is reserved for those two entities. Love God, love people. So let me start real quick with love God. And it's crazy because on one hand, if you think about this series, you might go, you should have started with part one, love God, love others. And we talked a bit about it, but I wanted to end this way because the power of love in the famous words of theologian Huey Lewis and the the news. But um, love in its proper context, as we start with love God, is this. Some of you remember watching basketball games in the NBA back in the 80s, and maybe it happened in the 90s, maybe it was the 70s, but for sure in the 80s. And in these basketball, you know, arenas, there was there was a guy that would wear a rainbow wig and hold a sign behind the basketball hoop and the sign said John 3:16. And and he knew that the camera would end up having a shot towards him and he would hold up that sign hoping that people watching from their homes or other people watching in the arena would see this sign John 3:16 and look it up. But when we start with this idea of love God, it really begins with how much God loves us. And John 316 specifically describes it this way, for God so loved the world, you and me, that he gave his one and only son, 
that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then you get to the heart of the matter as you continue through verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Again, at the core, think about this for a minute. It's understanding God's great love for you and me. That's what opens our hearts to our love for God. So when you look at God's love, it says specifically, Jesus paid the price so that you and I, in verse 17, could be saved, that the world would be saved. And we hear in random spiritual conversations all the time, somebody might say, I got saved, they got saved. And we hear this language and go, well, what exactly does that mean? What kind of spiritual words is that? I got saved. Paul is, excuse me, um, uh, John is specifically talking about when he says saved, it means saved from sin. Paul says in Romans that we've all sinned and that's a problem. And so when we talk about being saved, saved from sin, Jesus paid the penalty because of God's love so that you and I could be saved from sin. Sin specifically defined means to miss the bullseye. That God's design, God's plan for you and I is the bullseye. And that plan is that we walk in belief in what Jesus has done, that we walk in grace, that we walk with integrity, that we walk with humility, that we live forgiving, that we live faithful, that we live surrendered to our heavenly Father. So, sin equates with all the ways that we've missed the mark. But Jesus redeems our lives. Jesus accepts our penalty so we can be free from sin and its consequences. God so loved us like that. So we hear it and we, we, we understand it. I'm trying to say it as, as plain as I can, but my hope would be we understand, we hear it and then we understand it, but it doesn't stop there. We've got to receive it. And maybe you've heard this before, but it's not enough to hear it and understand it. Go, that's great. It's something that we've got to receive. Paul also writes in Romans chapter 10, it's not just believing, it's surrendering, it's confessing and repenting. So we receive it. I think back to May of 1992, way back in the olden days, but I always, my whole life, believed in some kind of higher power. I had been in church settings before at certain times, and I remember something about a God, and even something about Jesus, but I didn't understand in detail what it was all about until mid-May of 1992 when I was invited to a church gathering. And I'm at this gathering, and, and all of a sudden in this gathering, the light comes on. And I have this idea of, of who Jesus is that I understand like I never had before. After that gathering, it's over, and, and I, we head home, and I, I was with a gal that invited me to the church, and I'm just in high school, but she's asking me, like, so what's going on? What do you think? What happened there? What, what, what's your deal? And I explained to her this whole idea of, like, I, I had this picture of who Jesus is, and I get it. And you know what her response was? Now you have to make a decision. Now you have to respond to what you understand. And that's when I, I look at my life as, you know, birth to 16 and a half and, and then 16 and a half to now because that's when I responded to God's love in Christ. That's when I invited Jesus to be the Lord of my life. 
And it's something that I want to challenge any one of you that maybe you're looking through a car window today and you're hearing what I'm saying or maybe you're watching online and you're sitting on a couch or you're sitting in bed still and you're in your jammies or you're in a di- looking at a dining room table on a device. And maybe you need to make that decision today. Maybe you haven't invited Jesus to, to, to be your Lord. Maybe you haven't responded. You just heard about it. Or maybe today, for the first time, there, there's something that makes more sense. Or maybe you've responded in the past, but today you're like, I've just been kind of going my way. And in this crazy world, I don't know where I stand in that relationship. Can I encourage you to respond today? And what I want to do is take a moment. I want to pray. And I would encourage you, if you want to respond and you want that new beginning, you want to respond and you want that fresh start, then I would just say, pray this prayer with me wherever you're at. You're looking through a car window or you're watching from a device online at home or wherever you are. Would you just pray with me? And I'm going to bow my head and you can just repeat. It's not the perfect words. It's not about saying all the right things. It's about believing on what God has done through Christ and responding to that love through confessing sin. I've missed the mark and I need Jesus to forgive me. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for what you've done that I could be forgiven of all of my sin. Come into my life. Forgive me for all of it. I need a fresh start. I want that new beginning. I give my life today to you. I believe you love me and you have plans for me. I surrender to that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now look, I realize in some ways I feel like it sounds like such a pitch just to say, hey, pray that prayer and everything's good. But you know what? When you believe on who Jesus is and you invite him into your life, the Bible says you're forgiven of your sin. And if that's you today, I would ask you to take a step with us. So listen carefully, just for a second here, and we'll get back to the message. But if, again, you're, you're, you're parked in your car, you're listening to this, or you're at home, and you're listening to this, would you let us know? If you came in, you drove in today, you received a card, would you mark it on there and turn it in as you drive out? If you're watching online, would you click that Connect Card uh, link, and would you fill that out and let us know? And the reason I say that is because we want to help you take a couple of steps intentionally. We want to help you in, the, in this journey. And so we have some things intentionally that you can do. But if you let us know, we can help you take those steps. Jesus said we, you know, we, we, we ought to hear that message. Paul reminded us to believe and to confess. But it doesn't end there. Because one of the things Jesus said is his time on earth wound down. After he had paid the price on the cross and died, the Bible says he rose again. It says he talked to the disciples multiple times. But you know what he said? He said, now go make disciples. And it's a reminder for you and me, it's not enough to just receive it and appreciate it, have a new beginning. As we do that and we realize God's vast love, then we go share it with others because we are disciples who help make disciples. That's for all of us. It's not just some pastor with a microphone. It's not for, for the professional Christian who somehow does this for a living. It's for all of us to help people see God's love in how we live to help people realize how much God cares, that extravagant love that I mentioned just a few moments ago. So we love God because he loves us extravagantly and we love others extravagantly. Let me talk about that word extravagant for a minute because I think most of us kind of have an idea of what it means. But if you look it up in a dictionary, you'll find that similar words include excessive, not reasonable. I love that one. God's love for you and I is not reasonable. What you and I deserve is, 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 is not grace and forgiveness. 
And yet God is not reasonable in his love for us. That's why we can sing amazing grace. Because every time you and I blow it and we come back and go, God, would you forgive me? He forgives us. That's incredible. That's extravagant, excessive, not reasonable. If you go back to the actual Latin for the two words that make up extravagant, you get these two words, outside wander. And I, I kind of love that picture because it's not just somebody who goes hiking randomly. It's like out, out wandering outside of the bounds of the norm. God's love for you and me extends outside the bounds of what's normal. But the challenge is this, that's the kind of love he's asking you and I to have in the jungle of relationships all around us. In fact, that's where we get to Luke chapter seven and I'm gonna read it. It says this, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, she was weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When you hear this, can we just all be honest? It's like a scene of ultimate awkwardness. It really, if you're just honest, like, come on, let's be real here. Like, you'd be in the room going, what in the world? And here's the thing, that's exactly what the Pharisees do. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him. What kind of woman that she is, she's a sinner. And Jesus gets what's going on here. And Jesus says to Simon the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to tell you. And Simon says, tell me. He goes, two, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other only 50. Neither of them had the money to pay. And so he forgave the debts of both. Now, asking Simon, which one loved him more? Simon says, well, the one who had 10 times the debt forgiven. He says, exactly right. This isn't rocket science, exactly right. Jesus says, then he turned toward the woman, said to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? You didn't give me any water for my feet, which would have been a tradition, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, which would have been tradition, but this woman from the time I entered hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, would have been a tradition, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, listen carefully, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Now listen to this. For whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Can I tell you what Jesus is not saying? Jesus is not saying that the Pharisee's sins were little. If you look at the theology of sin in the scriptures, especially the book of Romans, which when you look at sin, sin is a problem for all of us. It's not about they have more sin and I have less sin, so I'm in a better position. The issue of sin at all is that it's the great separator. When Peter went to Jesus at one point and says to Jesus, hey, Lord, should I forgive my enemy like seven times? Tradition would have been three. So Peter, for some reason, says seven. And Jesus is like, no, you shouldn't forgive him seven times. You should forgive him 70 times seven. The point is clearly not, okay, well, that's 490 times that you and I have this little, you know, notebook we keep and go, hey, you know what? You're at 489, you're close. One more and we're done. 
No. Jesus' point is that there is such an extended grace that when you and I understand the plight that we're all in because of sin, there is not one of us that has been forgiven little. And so, if that's the case, then we shouldn't love little. We should love extravagantly, love God extravagantly, love other people extravagantly. Paul could barely put the right words together to try to even scratch the surface of God's love in Romans chapter 8. If you look at verse 35, it says this, Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says love is what peels the layers of our hearts back. And then he says, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says God's love is wildly extravagant. God's love is unbelievable. God's love ought to make us do cartwheels off of the roof, which I'm not going to do. I'm not looking to die today, but I feel like doing cartwheels right now. God's love is unbelievable. And so for you and I, we ought to understand that extravagant love to some degree that peels back the layers of our hearts that how can we not forgive? How can we not be generous? How can we not be transformed? How can we not let people off the hook? How can we not surrender our lives to a God who loves like that? How can we not help love others like that extravagantly? So the final question comes at the end of this whole series, what does it look like for you and I to love extravagantly? And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not, sorry, all all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I, I gain nothing. If I have faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the flames that I may boast, but don't have love, I gain nothing. What does extravagant love look like? Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it'll be stilled. Where there are tongues, they will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part now, but when completeness, eternity comes, this will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. 
When I became a man, I put away childish things. Paul is saying we're here with this partial understanding, but eventually that'll all be different. And he says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Father, today, I really, really appreciate so much what you've given us in this chapter. That there is never an end in any of our lives. There is never an end when we've arrived to that kind of love, this side of eternity. At the same time, God, it doesn't mean we're not challenged to look at how kind am I? How patient am I? How selfless am I? Do I get easily angered? Am I keeping a record of wrongs? God, help all of us to be challenged the rest of our lives by that kind of love. Because in the jungle of relationships that we navigate every day, from people on a street we drive by, to the house we live in, to the, 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 the neighbor next door, to the work we go to, to the church body we're a part of, God, we all can be challenged in our ability to love extravagantly, love you and love others. And we all, if we're honest, we all need help to love like that. And so, Father, we admit it. And God, we ask, Jesus, help us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey. I'm so glad you're joining us for our gatherings and I hope you've enjoyed this series. You can always go back and listen to messages at grove.church. There's a media link there. So if you miss a message, you can always listen if you wanna go back and kind of be reminded. But like I said, and I really mean it, I hope that for the rest of our lives, we can look at 1 Corinthians 13 and be challenged to love others like that. Couple of logistics before you head out today. I mentioned a little bit ago, as you drove in, you received a connect card. If you would take a moment and fill that out and turn it in on your way out. If you have any giving you wanna drop off, you can do that as well on your way out. Also, it's easy to give online at grove.church. We encourage that just to keep things clean and safe, but you can give online, grove.church, click on that give link. And whether you're here driving in or maybe you're at home, we encourage you and appreciate your financial faithfulness. And then finally, if you're driving in, make sure you follow the parking crew, be patient with the process, drive careful through the neighborhood so we're not making any neighbors upset. But thanks again for being here. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome week. And uh, hopefully we'll see you next Sunday. God bless. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.